Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. This episode is brought to you by Mobile Assistant. You know, it's crazy to me that nine times out of 10, when I ask a financial advisor if they use Mobile Assistant, they've never even heard of it. So if that's you, I'm about to change your life. After a day full of appointments, who has the time or energy to sit down in front of your computer and type out all your notes to get them into your client database or CRM? I know I don't. Enter Mobile Assistant. I literally tap an app on my phone, speak my meeting notes into a voice recorder, and then tap submit. Within a few hours, my team and I have an email sitting in our inbox with all of the notes and action items to act on from the previous day's meetings. Even better, almost all of the big name CRMs feed them directly into your database. Yes, it's that easy to keep your meeting notes systematized, archived, and most importantly, compliant. Just go to mobileassistant.us forward slash Brad to take advantage of a special 30-day free trial offer for all Elite Advisor Blueprint listeners. As an added bonus, use coupon code BRADBRAD for a 25% discount. My friend and mobile assistant co-founder, Corey, has guaranteed me you won't find a better deal anywhere. So to get started, check it out, mobileassistant.us forward slash Brad. Welcome everyone, my name is Brad Johnson and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. In each episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint, it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott McCain. Make sure you go out and say hello to him on Twitter. He's at Scott McCain, S-C-O-T-T-M-C-K-A-I-N. For those of you unfamiliar with Scott, He's an internationally known authority on helping organizations create distinction in every phase of business and teaching how to deliver the ultimate customer experience. Scott has written multiple best-selling books, a few of which include All Businesses Show Business, Create Distinction, and his most recent, The Seven Tenets of Taxi Terry. He also is one of only 150 living members of the National Speakers Hall of Fame and was recently inducted as one of only 22 members of the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame in the world fellow members of which include Seth Godin, Zig Ziglar, and Dale Carnegie. Obviously, some amazing company there. Here are just a few of the topics we cover in this jam-packed hour-long conversation. Right at the beginning, we go a little bit off script, but this is gold for those of you out there hosting public seminars or client events. Scott covers three ways to cure stage fright, how to recover from telling a joke no one laughs at, and two techniques for creating crowd engagement during your presentation. As an added bonus, he throws in two tips for body language while on stage. Next up, Scott shares what a random cab ride from the Jacksonville airport taught him about creating the ultimate customer experience. In fact, this story led to him later being contacted by the largest book publisher in the world to write his most recent book on it. The principles shared have actually allowed this taxi driver to thrive as Uber eats the rest of his competition alive. Next The surprising insight Scott and his team found when they surveyed multiple industries on what their clients' expectations actually were and how benchmarking against industry competition could actually be the worst thing your company could ever do. Lastly, Scott shares an incredible story about how a dinner with Zig Ziglar 
was the turning point that led to him writing his first book, and even more personally, what Zig did when Scott's first wife passed away that left a lasting impression on Scott to this very day. Warning, it may make you cry. I almost did. It was that powerful and a great lesson to be learned from it. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Scott McCain. So a little bit more information on Scott. Um, First off, uh, Scott and I were chatting right before we hopped on here and, and went live to everybody. Uh, the most, one of the most recent honors, he actually is the 22nd member of the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame. So 20, 22 in the world. Am I right there, Scott? Right, yeah. 22 in the world. Uh, the likes of Seth Godin, Zig Ziglar, Dale Carnegie, uh, the, the guy that wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Obviously, you're probably familiar with the other names there. So congratulations, Scott. That's Thank an you. incredible honor. I, Brad, I was saying before, I, I keep waiting on him to say, you know, Steve Harvey made that announcement. There was a mistake, <laughs> but it, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a surprise. I didn't even know I'd been nominated and it was a, a great thrill to, to join that group. Well, that's a testament to the, the years of dedication and work that you put into your craft. So congrats. Um, so yeah, I was thinking being one of 150 living members of the professional speakers of Hall of Fame, which you also are. Uh, was a was a great honor, but then you trumped it here right at the beginning. Of the so, um, so Scott is also a best-selling author. Uh, for those of you that have not read his books, uh, we will put links uh, in the show notes here. Uh, Create Distinction is probably your most well-known book, Scott. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, continue. I've actually we just for those of you on the call here. Uh, Levi just reviewed that book. Huh. Actually, before we even knew you were going to be a guest here. Scott. <laughs> I hope it's so, a good review. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, testament to the fact that uh, that that it is good stuff because we were actually reviewing the book before uh, you even decided I, to guest on here. So I appreciate that. So keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, we won't. I think you all understand here shortly when we get to Scott and some of the content that he's going to cover. Uh, how well he knows creating distinction and creating the ultimate client experience. So we're not going to waste a lot of time on the front end. We're just going to dig right in if that's cool with you, Scott. I'd love it. Let's go. That's great, Brad. Thank you. All right. So first off, I'm going to go just a little bit off script. We won't go too far off script here, but I know a number of our advisors um, give public events. Mm -hmm. So seminars, client events, um, a lot of time on stage, although not quite as much as you've spent on stage. Sure, sure. I wanted to figure out on your side, obviously as a professional uh, speaker, you do this for a living. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, do you have any rituals, routines that you go through prior to taking stage that you think may be able to help others out there that are maybe get nervous or before they hop out there? Well, well, first of all, that's a great question, Brad. I think your attitude about being anxious or being nervous is is critical. my mentor many years ago in the, in the speaking business, I, I, I just admired him so much because he seemed so relaxed anytime he stood up in front of a crowd. And we were having a conversation. I went to hear him speak and we're in the car driving home. And, and I said, gosh, I, I get so nervous every time before I speak. And he said, great. And I went, well, no, you help, help me, help me. He said, no. He said, you only get nervous about things that matter. And if you aren't nervous, then that means what you're about to do really isn't that significant. So the, the key is not to teach yourself how not to be nervous. The, the, the key is to teach yourself how you 
how you deal with that. There's, there's the old speaker line about, you know, I get butterflies, I've just trained them to fly in formation. You know, and I, and I, I think that's kind of the approach is how, how do you deal with that? I, I get anxious. Uh, you mentioned I'm here at Atlantis in the Bahamas and, and doing a program, uh, you know, for, for a thousand people. And I'll, I'll promise you, I will be nervous before I walk on stage. Uh, because I care, I want to do a good job, but but there are things that all of us in speaking can learn um, about what we need to do. Here, here's a couple. Uh, number one, uh, know your, your opening cold. I say practically the same thing every time I speak in, in to, to open the speech. You know that absolutely cold. I don't think you should memorize your speech, but you certainly need to have both your opening phrase and your closing phrase, absolutely solid, absolutely cold. Second thing is, if there's any way that you can get some audience participation at the beginning, I think that's a great thing too. It does two things. Number one, it gets the audience involved because again, part of what you wanna do is walk through your presentation and try to analyze it from the viewpoint of the audience. And, and one of the things that the audience doesn't want is to think that some boring person is gonna be lecturing them about, you know, I, I, I've, I've sat through so many meetings of, you know, mutual fund wholesalers, and here's our top 10 holdings, and here's our, and, and they just, they just all run together. And so the audience's perception is, here's somebody, and they're going to lecture to us, and they're going to give us this information. Get them involved. Find some way uh, to get them involved. And, and the other thing is, I, I put on my, I, I have a, a blog in, uh, um, the, the blog is just createdistinction.com. And there's a post on there of a couple of weeks ago about 10 things that every speaker, um, I, I geared it mostly for professional speakers, but 10 things that every speaker should know. So that's there for you if that will help. Here, here's the other uh, that I would encourage everyone to know. If in doubt, leave it out. If there's anything that you question that might offend a client or might offend someone in the audience, uh, whether it be politically, whether it be... See, here, here's part of the thing. Most of us that are starting in speaking, or most of us don't speak often, think that the way we're supposed to do it is to get up and, and tell a joke and make some kind of humorous comment and then move on. And, and the fact is, humor should only be used with a purpose. Here's the reason why. You're right. any, any humor that you use should illustrate a serious point for two reasons. Number one is humor is hard. It's the hardest thing you can do from the platform. Second thing is, how many meetings have you been to or an advisor or a wholesaler gets up, tells a terrible joke, nobody laughs, and then they go, ha but seriously, right? Well, here's what that, if, if the humor, if the joke has a point and nobody laughs, then all you got to do is to say, now you're probably wondering why I told you something silly like that. The reason is because, and then you go into the point of the story. So whether they laugh or whether they don't, the story still makes the point. So those are the things that I'd advise you to do. Know your opening and your cold absolutely, uh, your opening and your close absolutely cold. Second, um, you know, if in doubt, leave it out. Be careful about what you're communicating. And, and third, everything, every illustration should have a point. One of the things we find is that audiences are different generationally, right? Millennials listen a little bit different, baby boomers and so forth. But the one thing that unites us is story. We want narrative. We want, we, we, give us an example, right? I mean, um, you know, I, I was just reading right before we, we, we came on, Brad, um, about Warren Buffett's 
you know, most recent letter and, and uh, talking about how Berkshire Hathaway, what they've done over the last year. And, and part of what he does is to tell you the story of what happened over the last year. And it's part of why people trust him so much. It's part of why people have connected with him so much is that even if we don't understand the financial mechanics behind what he's doing, the story makes us go, ah, right? And it builds trust and it helps us understand. So narrative is, is incredibly important. Focus on the stories that you're telling. I could go on an hour about that, but, but those, are, those are just some basics. Oh, one last thing before, before we move on to another topic. Um, it's always harder to speak to people that you know than it is to speak to people that you don't know. I'm from a small town in Southern Indiana. Crothersville, Indiana is my hometown. There's 1,500, 1,600 people in our town. I'm going to speak in front of 1,000 people here. It's easier for me to speak in front of 1,000 people here in the Bahamas than it is for me to go back home to Crothersville and get up and talk in front of 100 people. Um, so part of what an advisor needs to understand is when, when you're speaking to your clients, when you're speaking to the people that you know, you are literally doing the hardest job in speaking. And so no wonder you're nervous. No wonder it's challenging because that's, that's part of what you're doing. So understand that, prepare for that. And um, I, I think you'll find a great deal of success. That's awesome. I'm glad I asked that question. Because I'm glad you did too. I, I love it. Well, and, a wealth of knowledge right there. Well, you know, the, the thing of it is, uh, speaking is like playing a piano. It really is. I mean, some people have more natural talent than others. Um, some people are more adept physically than others. With speakers, it might be a voice. With piano players, it might be the dexterity of your fingers. But at the end of the day, it's about practice. It's about stage time, right? And just like with piano, the more you play, the better you get. But the better you get, the more that people want you to play, right? So, so it becomes that cycle. And the same is true with speaking. And, and I, one of the things that I, I've seen over the many years that I've been you know, working with advisors is that they just don't practice enough. You know, they, they expect the speech to be good, but they just don't practice enough to make it good. And I know they've got a million things to do, but I, I you know, I, I, I'll give a hundred speeches this year. Without next, by the end of this week, I'll have given thirty already this year, and and I, I'll I'll still be working on the slides, you know, and getting everything just right. And even though I say, you know, tell the taxi Terry story at every speech or tell certain stories every time, I still rehearse every single presentation. You know, I'll rehearse it here in the in the hotel room. So. Don't you wouldn't you wouldn't think you could be good at basketball or golf or anything else without practicing? You know, it's like I'm never going to go to the range, but I expect to you know shoot even par. I mean, not going to happen. And 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 I, speaking is no different. Okay, so so I've got about three questions rattling around my head. Sure. Um, body language on stage. Do you have any tips there? Things you've picked up over the years that that work well. The fundamental thing to remember about body language, uh, I, I think there's two points. One is that gestures and your movements should feel very natural. What we really want to see on the stage is who we think you are out in the hallway, right? And so I use my hands a lot when I talk. I probably overuse them on the stage. But when people then meet me outside of being on the platform, I'm the same guy, right? I mean, I might be more dramatic on stage as you need to be. I might be more forceful on stage as you need to be. But, but one of the things I've, I've done some speech coaching here recently, and it's, it's really been fascinating. I, I, uh, 
coached the author of the book Freakonomics. I've coached the real life Captain Phillips. Um, I coached uh, the the president of Keurig, the coffee brewers, you know, and, and things like that. Well, most of the training they'd been through had been the traditional speech training, which is um, I have two, you know, here's your gestures. If you have two points to make, you say, I have two points to make, right? No, nobody, Brad, if you and I are sitting at Starbucks, I wouldn't say, hey, Brad, there are three things I wanted to talk with you about this morning, right? I mean, you don't do that. And so your gesture should be conversational. People don't want to hear a lecture. They don't want to hear a speech. They want to be a part of an extended conversation, right? And so that's, that's how you should be in terms of gestures. But the main thing is, you have to know your speech well enough to know where are the most significant points. If I, I call it the fly on the wall or the listening in the bathroom principle, which is simply after the speech is over, if I'm a fly on the wall or if I'm in a stall listening to everybody talking when they're in the, in the restroom during the break, and someone said, what did you get from that speech? Here are the three, and I wanna hammer, I wanna make certain that when the speech is over, people know A, B, C, right? Okay, so when you get to those points in your speech, and that's part of the practice thing, you've got to know what they are, you've got to plan for that. But when you get to that point, that's where the body language is stand and deliver, right? That's where you are full frontal onto the audience and you make that point. You're not moving from side to side, you're not, you know, gesturing what, but you stand and deliver that point. Uh, for example, one of the points in my presentation is the single most important question that any advisor can be asking right now is why would a client choose me instead of the competition? So when I say that, I'm not walking back and forth. I'm not looking at a slide. I'm not gesturing. That's the moment that I'm square with the audience. And I say to you, the most important question you can be asking today. And, and, and so that serves to drive home those two or three critical points of the presentation. So that's the time that body language becomes most, most important. Awesome. So earlier, one of your, one of your points you said was audience participation, yeah. um, which I'm glad to hear that because we kind of preach that on our side too, as far yeah. as coaching advisors. Uh -huh. Do you have examples, and I, I know your industry is very different than a financial services industry, mm -hmm. but do you have kind of go-tos for you where you've got kind of a dead audience and you're struggling a little bit to kind of get them involved that are just kind of natural things that will kind of build the energy up? Any, any ideas? Well, you know, the, there are some old classics and, 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 you know, every once in a while I pull this one out, every, you know, hey, you know, in, in, in our industry today, we need some good words. Everybody stand up, shake hands with the people around you, say you've never looked better in your life, right? And people do that, it's funny. So that's kind of a get you moving, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, but one of the things we find is that millennials want the speaker to know what they feel about something, right? Even more than baby boomers. I mean, you know, I, I, I go hear a speaker and I'm like taking notes and, taking it all in and that's what I expect. I, it never occurred to me that the speaker would even be interested in what I'm thinking about. You know, when I'm, when I'm in the audience, I'm just taking notes on their presentation. Millennials want to give you feedback. And so one of the ways that you can accomplish that is to say, um, here's a critical question. For example, um, even the old cliche question, what keeps you awake at night? Would you write down one thing about your financial plan or one thing about your financial future or one thing about the economy? What keeps you awake at night? Would, would everybody just take a moment and, and, and write that down? 
Now, obviously, you got to think ahead. Does everybody have a pen? Does everybody have a pad? Or you ask them to pull out their iPhone and put it in their notes section, right? Okay, great. Now that you've got that, get yourself a partner. So they get a partner. Now, you and your partner get another pair. So they get another pair. Now, the four of you go around the, 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 the four and express what's keeping you awake at night. And, and then I've got a couple questions for you. So they do that and they talk about that. And then you say, okay, now how many of you, uh, as you were talking to someone else, how, how many of you is what kept you awake the same thing as what kept someone else in the group awake? Naturally, you're going to have uh, half, 60, 70%. They'll raise their hand. Yeah, yeah, we shared it. Same thing. Okay, so what were they? You get that feedback from the audience. And then you say, man, okay, the, you've identified this as being critical. So let's focus on that. Now, look, as, as a good advisor, you better be able to predict what's keeping your clients awake at night, right? I mean, you should know that ahead of time. None of these answers are going to shock you. Um, so be prepared for that. Be ready for that. And, but then what, from the audience's perspective, what you've just done is get them talking to each other. Oh, what we think is important. And it says to them that what's going to follow is exactly what they've defined as being important to hear about. So you've just raised the interest level of your presentation because you're talking about what they've defined as being important to them. And so uh, getting them involved, it, it's, it's, for example, one of the things we do that's really helped our business stand out is, you know, uh, well, for example, when, when I spoke at the World Series of Sales, um, I said, give me the names of three or four of, of your top people, your top advisors. And I just like to call them and talk to them before the presentation. So I did, and I, I don't know if you remember or not, but one of the things that, that I said in the presentation is, and I don't, don't recall it, but you know, John Smith in Montgomery, Alabama said, this is really important, right? Part of the reason I did that is, first, I really wanted to know what they thought was important. But the second thing is, I know if I stand up and I say, here's what's really important, there are gonna be people in the audience go, well, how does he know? You know, we're out here, we're out here hitting it every day, how does he know? But if I say John Smith in Alabama thought this was important, and by the way, you know, Jane Doe in Kansas thought it was important, and Fred Johnson in California though, you know, and, and so now all of a sudden, I've subliminally said to the audience, I've done my homework, I know it's important to you because you've defined it for me, this isn't a canned speech. And so finding ways to get your audience involved in that way stimulates interest in what you're about to say. That's a, uh, that's a brilliantly simple idea <laughs> because what's interesting is most of the people on this call, they're doing pre-qualifying calls with most of their seminar attendees where they're asking sure. some of the reasons that they're interested in coming. So obviously with permission, they could share some of that. From yeah, absolutely. Or, or do it live on site. You're not going to be surprised by what they say because the pre-qualifying call, but to get people talking to each other is good too, because the other thing that you want is after your event, you want these people who might not have known each other previously to feel more comfortable standing in the parking lot going, I bet it was, that was really good. What did you think? Yeah, to get them talking to each other to reinforce just in, in, in financial services, just like any other major purchase that we make. Sorry for the air quotes there, but you know, it's, it's a compliance air quote. Uh, you know, every buyer suffers and every client suffers from post-purchase dissonance. Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right choice? Am I with the right advisor? And so stimulating conversation with your group 
so that they'll feel free to talk with each other also lets them support each other that, man, I'm glad I came to this lunch. I'm really glad I came to this dinner. That was really interesting. I think I'm going to do something. How about you? Right. And, and so you're stimulating uh, help in dealing with that dissonance after the, after the program by getting them to talk to each other during your program. It also, you know, the other thing is we're so used to being manipulated as an audience. I mean, we, we hate that. Um, how many times you've been to a meeting and this is, shape my career. How many times you've been to a meeting where the speaker says, and the meaning of life is, oh, I'm out of time. But if you'll buy my books and my CDs in the back of the room, you'll learn the meaning of life, right? And, and we know we're being manipulated. And so I think part of what happens is sometimes we will attend programs, me as a client, right? I'll attend the program and the advisor will say, I know that your concerns are A, B, and C. And I feel like I'm being manipulated. You're saying that because that's what you're going to talk about. But if you get me to say that to somebody else in the audience and you get me to say to someone else or someone else to, in the audience to say to me something, then all of a sudden when you start talking about it, I don't feel manipulated. I feel like you're being responsive. And so just that little technique, I don't like calling it a trick, but it's a technique, just that technique that changes the audience's thinking of you're responding to my concerns as opposed to you're going to give us a pitch about what your specialty is. You know, that's, uh, that's critically important. Well, and if you're doing your best job for your clients or your prospects, you'd want to know that stuff. You know, right? it, so, that is so true, Brad. That's a great point. Absolutely. It's allowing you to do your job better. Yes, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, cool. So we've talked zero about the ultimate client experience so far. <laughs> so this is going great. But, uh, <laughs> That's incredible information. So for those of you on here that are doing, uh, doing live events, definitely you're going to want to go back on the podcast and re-listen to that entire section because that was just, I, I was scribbling notes left and right over there. So. so if nobody else got any information, I at least did off this. So thanks. I appreciate thanks, it. You bet. You bet. Um, okay. So let's transition a little bit into, uh, let's go into the ultimate client experience. Mm -hmm. And I do love the story of Taxi Terry. I, I actually, after your uh, presentation, I was able, I don't even know if it's still out there, but I went and found some speech on YouTube that they'd clipped out the Taxi Terry story. Yeah, and I rewatched re it a couple of times. Just oh, thanks. That, that's good. a lot. That, that was a lot. So that's right when I first started telling the story. That was like uh, the, the second or third time I'd ever told that story. And I was doing a program for all the managers of Express stores, you know, the stores in the mall, the, the, the limited, the Express. And, um, and, and they posted that. Well, anyway, I thought, well, if they were going to post it, I better read, you know, at least have my name on it so I can control the, the comments and everything. So I, I reposted it. And that's been up there for several years. And there's been a couple of things happened with Terry since then. But, um, you know, it, it's got uh, 170,000 views, which is nothing if you're, you know, nothing if you're Taylor Swift, but for a middle-aged guy, Stand on the stage talking for seven minutes. YouTube tells me that's that's really remarkable. So it's uh, it's been been pretty cool. Well, if you don't mind, and I I don't want to take like the whole rest of our time here, you sure. retelling a story that people can probably go out and watch. But uh, I know I do know we have a lot of our offices that have actually invited their staff. Um, their oh, great staff, kind of their director of first impressions on the call. Sure. Um, and by the way, if you haven't, guys, now would be the time to like run out and grab them. Uh, so. <laughs> Could you share just like, because to me, that is the, 
that is summing up the ultimate client experience in a very cool way. So do you mind just sharing the oh, very story and, and kind of the lessons that you took from it? Sure. Happy to. Um, I've given a speech in Jacksonville, Florida and, and the flight's late and I'm tired and, you know, we've all been there at one more meeting and, and, uh, I drag my old beat up suitcase, my old entire body through the airport and I walk out and the line for cabs is really long. And I take my place in the back of the line. I'm listening to what all these other cab drivers are saying. And, and my head's like a turnstile, right? I've counted how many people are in front of me and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the number to be number one. I finally get to the front of the line, tired, you know, just the typical beat up traveler. And all of a sudden the cab that's picking me up, the, the guy pulls up in front of me and he stops. And then the driver jumps out of the cab and points at me in the front of the line and shouts, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? I'm like, yeah, get in. At this point, I'm afraid. You know, None of I get in with it. He jogs over and gets my luggage. He jogs back, puts it in the trunk of his car, jumps in the driver's seat, turns around to me in the back, sticks out his hand, says, Mr. McCain. I'm like, how'd you know my name? Saw it on your luggage. Figured I might as well use it. He said, I'm Taxi Terry, which makes me think, why did I get stuck with a motivational cab driver? <laughs> I shake his hand, we take off. Where are we at tonight, Mr. McCain? I said, well, the Marriott down, downtown. Fantastic, sir. Let's check out the weather. Now, that, that threw me for a loop, right? And, and I'm so tired. I don't care if there is weather. <laughs> you know, just get me to the hotel. He touches his dashboard and it lights up. He's got a Got an iPhone and a very nice bracket, magnifying glass over the screen. I can clearly read it at the back seat. He's, he's live real time, set to weather.com for Jacksonville. And I now have the instant forecast, you know, for, for my stay. And he says, hope you're a golfer, Mr. McCain. You're going to have two awesome days in Jacksonville. Tell me why you're here. And I said, well, uh, IBM asked me to come down and give a speech about customer service. He goes, customer service? I'm so into that. You mind if I record our conversation? And he hits a button. And I, I'm like, who are you really? <laughs> and I said, why are you so set up to record conversations in your cab? And the short version of what he told me was, he said, well, Dr. Smith gets in. He's one of my good local clients. And, and I'm driving to the airport and he says his daughter, Jill, has just enrolled at Vanderbilt University. He says, well, as soon as he gets out of the cab, I, I hit my button. I record that. He said, every night when I get home, I take the recordings that I've made and I enter it into my database. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Even cab drivers now have CRM, right? <laughs> you know? and, and he said, so the next time the doctor makes a reservation, that information pops up. And as I'm driving to the airport, I turn to him and I say, you know, by the way, doctor, I'm so glad to see you. I've been wondering how in the world is Jill doing at Vanderbilt? He said, you think he's going to let anybody else drive him to the airport? Right, so, so he gets me to the hotel. And we all know the drill, right? The cab driver gets you, hands you two things, sometimes printed on the same form, but two things. They hand you a receipt for our tax purposes, business purposes, and they hand you a card hoping you will call them or their company to take you back where you came from. Well, Terry gets me to the hotel, jumps out of the cab, gets my bag out of the back, hands my bag, literally carries my bag and hands my bag to the bellman and says, presenting Mr. McCain. I've never been presented before. Then he turns to me and then he says, Mr. Ken, I realize you'll need a receipt and someone brought you here. Someone must return you. I hope that's me. He said, you can print out your receipt and reserve your return trip on my website, taxiterry.com. Cab driver, the web presence. And, it, and, and he said, one more thing, Mr. McCain, I, I hope to franchise this someday. He said, so if you run into a, a cab driver that could use some help with customer service, and I'm thinking, 
that's all of them. Right? He said, you tell him about Taxi Terry. So the next morning, I get up and give the speech. Well, you know, that was such a cool thing. And I started my speech by saying, hey, last night at the airport, this guy said, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? And the audience in unison went, Taxi Terry. He's the official cab driver for that office of IBM. He sold them a service agreement. So the story illustrates, and, and, and now a few years removed, we've, we've had a couple other things happen, Brad, that, had, that hadn't even happened when I was uh, there several years ago in, uh, in the San Diego area, a few folks at the World Series of Sales. Um, one is, uh, I, I made a trip back to Jacksonville, right? I'd, I'd, wrote, I'd written with Terry a couple, three more times, uh, not long after that, because I, I made several more visits back there for speaking. But then it was like three years, four years, I, I hadn't been back to Jacksonville. So I'm, I'm back there uh, a couple years ago, and I call for Terry to pick me up, as I had before. And this time a woman answers the phone, and she's very professional, sounds like a dispatcher. And it, that was different, right? So I give her my name, and she says, I know who you are. You're the guy that tells that story about Terry. And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, Terry will be the driver picking you up. So I get off the plane and there he is standing by this beautiful new car. And are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? And I get in the front seat with him this time to, you know, to, to catch up. Well, he now owns several cars and employs several drivers full-time because business is so good. He also has a second business called Easy Airport Shuttle because there's some people that are just price sensitive. They just want, you know, they don't care how many stops. They'll, they'll, they just want to get where they're going as cheaply as they can. So that's a good business for him. He also bought a stretch limousine and he showed me a picture, which, which I copied and used my speeches now, of the Clinton Global Initiative was held at the Ritz-Carlton at Amelia Island, Florida, and they had to pick someone to drive President Clinton for the week. And who do you think they picked? And that's a picture of Taxi Terry and, and Bill Clinton. So then the, the YouTube story that you talked so much about uh, got so many views just out of the blue. I get this call from McGraw-Hill, the biggest publisher in the world, who said, uh, we love that story. Would you write a book about what you learned uh, from Taxi Terry? And so I, I'd never really, until they asked that, I'd, you know, I, I'd learned about the ultimate client experience, but I'd never really broken down the steps. A, little, a quick example. Uh, there's seven tenets, seven, seven lessons I learned. The, the first one is um, the importance of setting a high expectation. Every other cab driver that night said, where are you going? How many in your party? Cash or credit? Terry said, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? Now, what that did was to set an expectation for me that this was going to be something different than what everybody else had, had experienced. But the part that I didn't really realize until I, I researched it more, talked to Terry more, writing the book, is that Terry also did that to challenge himself, right? I mean, he said, I can't say, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? And then you get in the cab and I don't say anything and I just dump you off at the Marriott, right? I, I have to do something during that time to make you understand that this is distinctive from what you're gonna get from other cabs. And so I see that a lot in, in business. I mean, obviously from a compliance standpoint, a financial advisor can't say, are you ready for the greatest returns you've ever had in your life? I mean. That, that you can't do that. But what you can do is to create the ultimate client experience, to create something unique, to create something different in terms of how you treat your clients. And, and, and that's why I love that, that so many people from the offices are watching because that client experience is not just the advisor. 
It is the total experience that the office creates. Um, one of the things about, well, it, this is an example I used at the World Series of Sales, but if I say, think of Indiana Jones, you don't think of Steven Spielberg. If I say, think of Indiana Jones, you don't think of George Lucas, but yet that's who owned Indiana Jones, right? They made the movies, they signed the contracts, they did the deals, they owned Indiana Jones. But when I say think of Indiana Jones, you think of Harrison Ford. You think of the employee that created the experience for you. And so part of what we all have to understand is if, if I'm a client and I'm, I call the office, from the moment that phone is answered, the person I'm talking to is the chief executive officer of my client experience. So every single person in every single office has the, has the critical responsibility of that client's experience. Um, second quick tenant is, I didn't quite understand why Terry did the weather, right? I mean, that was kind of a cool thing, but, but later in, in the research of the book, part of what I found out was, if you think he's in Jacksonville, Florida, which is just near St. Augustine, Florida, which by the way, the golf tournament this last weekend was played. It's the home of the PGA, it's a golf mecca. So at airport pickups, many of Terry's passengers are folks coming in for a golf weekend. And the weather is incredibly critical to those folks. So part of what I learned from Terry is when you can provide help or information it's totally unexpected, right? I don't depend on a cab driver for meteorological information, but the fact that he provided it made the experience distinctive. Um, I, I, I visited uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, uh, I guess it's okay to mention who it was. Merrill Lynch asked me to interview some of their top uh, performers in the entire system to try to ascertain what were the things that made those financial advisors distinctive from you know everybody else in the system. And, and one of the top producers at that particular time uh, was an advisor in Corpus Christi. So I'm in Corpus Christi and I go in the guy's office and it's right on the waterfront. It's one of the most beautiful offices I've ever seen. And, and the guy and, and his CA are, are, are stuffing books into the folder. And it was surely how long ago it was, it was the Bill Gates book. And um, so we started talking about what you're doing. And he said, well, we have a book club. I find a book every month and I send it to my top 25 clients. And one of the things, and he said, my goal is not to be your advisor. My goal is to be your concierge. You know, if, if you want a thought leader in terms of business information, I may not be the thought leader, but, but I can be the thought aggregator, right? I, I can get that. I will send you a, an incredible book every month. Um, if, if your kid gets stopped, a traffic stop. Uh, I'm the guy that will know who the best attorney in town is that you need to get, right? I, I am not here just to be your advisor. I am here to serve you in every way. Well, because of that, he has more clients than folks that just focused on that. So the, that was Terry's purpose was, you know, it, it, if all I'm doing is taking you from point A to point B and dropping you off, I'm a commodity. But if I can give you weather information and make the experience unique, and here's what I've learned in the years since, Brad. Uber is not disrupting taxi Terry. Who Uber is putting out of business are all the non-distinctive cab drivers out there. And so in this time in financial services, we're worried about robo-advisors, or we're worried about all those kinds of things. That's absolutely going to disrupt 
the non-distinctive advisor, the advisor that brings not, you know, not a lot of information or value to the party. And so that's, that becomes the fundamental challenge. How do we find a way to, to create these kinds of experiences that are going to make us stand out and, and, and decommoditize a, a, an industry and a business that, that in some ways can be commoditized pretty easily? Very much so. Yeah. So it's, um, you actually answered one of my questions. I was going to yeah. ask you if the update was he was Uber Terry now. But <laughs> yeah. the nice thing about running your own car service, I've seen that a lot where guys, you know, you can actually uh, coexist with Uber and it actually supplements your business a lot of times. So yeah, you know, I, but one of the things too, is that Terry's viewpoint is I'm, I'm going to sell you a transportation solution, right? In a, in a commodity price driven marketplace, the way that you have an advantage is to sell a solution as opposed to the commoditization. And so part of what he's saying is he's calling on businesses saying, hey, if you just need a quick ride, the taxi park can pick you up. If you need you know, an executive or a client, the limo can pick you up. If you've got 10 people that are coming in at the same time, the easy airport shuttle can pick you up. And so his goal is to be the person that you outsource your transportation to. So he's providing a transportation solution as opposed to getting in the commodity business of just picking you up and dropping you off. So I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. it's I'm, interesting how closely that correlates to the financial services industry. Isn't it? Yeah. A lot of our top advisors, one of their big differentiators is they've named and trademarked their process, right? So it's not, we're going to uh, do a risk and fee analysis on your portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. Or we do income planning. It's, I've got uh, a three-step process. It's called the retirement roadmap. Where right. Step one, two, and three, you go from not being able to sleep well at night to actually now you've got to set rule and rules and plans that's going to get you exactly where you want to go in retirement. So it's interesting how you would think something that doesn't correlate at all is actually very similar and it works just as well in the financial services industry. Solving well, the you're so right, Brad. I mean, my, my first book was called All Businesses Show Business. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to re-release uh, that as, as an updated version. And um, the, the principle is not laughter and song and dance, right? Schindler's List was a product of show business. 12 Years a Slave was a product of show business. Uh, the, the intended outcome wasn't laughter and song and dance, but, but the intended outcome is show business succeeds when it creates the emotional connection with the audience, right? And so our challenge, whether we're driving a cab or whether we're a financial advisor, is to first of all, think about who is our target audience, Second, what is the proper emotional response that, that we desire to receive? And third is then how do we create that compelling emotional response? Because what happens in show business is people either what, they, what we're trying to get them to do is to repeat the experience, right? You come back, you see the movie again, you do business, you repeat the experience. Second, you extend the experience. By extending the experience, that means I want to come for the sequel. Right. So I'm going to extend, I'm not just going to do the same thing with you again. I'm going to come and do something else with you again. And third is I want to expand the experience. So that's why you have a Raiders of the Lost Ark ride at, at Disney. It's why, you know, we buy licensed products of, 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 of uh, toys for our kids, you know? So we're expanding the experience. We're extending the experience. We're repeating the experience. And that's all engineered into the emotional connection that any, any 
television show success, any movie of success creates. We need to do that in financial services. You know, who is our target audience? What is the proper emotional response for this? How do we get them to repeat, extend, and expand that experience? And so you're absolutely right. Those same principles are the ones that the, the highly successful financial advisors are, are employing, which is why, you know, friends don't fire friends, right? I mean, friends don't fire friends. I, I think it's important to prioritize your book as a financial advisor, but, but I'm not going to go home at night and say, you know, I need to call my book of friends. Say, hey, 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 Brad, you know, I've got too many friends. I got to let you go. You know, I mean, this <laughs> is not going to happen, right? And so the deeper the emotional connection, the deeper the reciprocity of interest, the, the, the more difficult it becomes to, to terminate or diminish any type of relationship. And so um, that's, that's part of what show business teaches and part of what we all have to learn in our respective businesses. So this conversation, I think, could go on this topic for probably, you'd miss, uh, your, yeah. you'd make your, miss your speaking engagement tomorrow. So um, any I know you can't go through all seven tenants of Taxi Terry. Any others that pop top of mind that could be super useful to, to the guys on the call today? Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is that um, the, the seventh tenant is make it a joy. You know, it, it is an absolute joy to ride with Taxi Terry. I, I look forward to it every time I'm back in the area. And one of the things that Terry has really taught me through this process is that when you're making it a joy for your clients, it can't help but make your own business and your own life more joyful. Now, look, I know there are times that the economy changes and returns aren't great. And every call you're getting is somebody complaining and it's not real joyful uh, during those periods of times. I'm not talking about laughter. I'm not talking about, you know, being frivolous. What I'm talking about is the sense of purpose and that attaining that sense of purpose really enriches the lives of your clients and your own life as well. And that's also part of the reason you want to drill deeper with them than just a specific investment or just a specific, you know, transaction. Because the more that we're engaged in their lives, the more that we're, you know, a, a part of what they do, um, the, the deeper that joy can be when, when, when the kids graduate from college or when, you know, something they get to go on the vacation they've always dreamed of, um, that becomes a, a, something that you can celebrate as well. And, and one last thing about that, the more that you're involved in the family, the greater the likelihood is that you're going to retain the account when there's the transfer of wealth from one generation to another. I see so many advisors that just feel like they're blindsided because, you know, the, the, the generational transfer happens and the son or daughter has another advisor or doesn't want to talk to them. Well, it seems like if you're planting seeds all along the way, that becomes something that should be just a natural extension. It's rather than, um, you know, something that, that hits us by surprise. So I just heard a really cool idea. So for everybody on the call, this is a fun one. So it's going to making it a joy. So one of our offices, actually one of our guys that coaches some of our other offices, uh, Rob up in Ohio, for those that are familiar, uh, he in his, I believe it's in their onboarding process for clients. They find out what their mu uh, favorite musical genre is. And then when they come in every single visit that goes right in the CRM, right? Yep. They have a Sonos yep. to the conference rooms and that genre is playing. 
or that artist is playing. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. One of, one of the stories I told at the World Series of Sales was about the office that records how they drink their coffee. Mm-hmm. So that when they come in, they put their coffee in front of them and it's already got exactly, you know, it's already specific to their taste. And it's, it, isn't it, it, I don't know if subliminal or subconscious, I don't know which is the right term, but if you set a cup of coffee in front of me, right, that's already the way I like it. If you know how I drink my coffee, you know me. And the same thing is true with, with, with music. If, if the music that I like is what's playing when you come in, it's, it's subliminal. You, if you know my music, you know me. And that's, isn't that what we want from advisors? I mean, it's what I want from my advisor. I want you to know my risk tolerance. I want you to know my plans for the future. I want you to, it, I want you to know me. And, and you know, Brad, my, my second book was called What Customers Really Want. We studied over a thousand customers, asking them basically two questions. What do you want when you do business? And what are you getting from the places where you are doing business? Because I thought if we could identify the disconnections, then if you could bridge that gap, then that meant you were creating an ultimate experience, right? And, and so when I first started doing the interviews, we segregated it by industry. So here's what they think of financial services, but here's what they think of automotive, and here's what they think in retail. The, the aha was the answers were all the same, regardless of the industry, because clients blend their evaluations based upon every place they're doing business. They're not walking out of an, you know, an office saying, what a great experience for a financial advisor, right? They're just saying that's a great experience. If the barista at Starbucks knows my name, how come the guy or gal with all my assets under management doesn't understand how I feel, right? I mean, so it's not that we're doing it on an industry specific. Your competition is is not just other financial advisors. Your competition is the Ritz-Carlton. Your competition is the Lexus dealership. Your competition is any place that your clients is receiving an ultimate experience. So the problem is that we benchmark ourselves against other people in our own industry, right? I mean, the typical thing to do would be to benchmark yourself against other advisors in your area. But that's not what your clients are doing. Your clients are benchmarking you against them, but they're also benchmarking you against the BMW dealership. They're benchmarking you against the Four Seasons. And so that's where you're, what your target has to be. Don't accept that lower standard because that won't be viewed by your clients as an ultimate experience. And, and the other thing is sometimes some of our best ideas come not from our own industry, but it's from thinking about how do we become, right? Uh, the next book that I'm working on now, one of the examples is Warby Parker. Um, Warby Parker said, how do we become the Zappos of eyewear? Ta-da, right? It's not that they, they, they picked from one discipline and applied it to another. So if you want to have a great client experience, part of my suggestion to you is don't look at other advisors. Think about how do we become the Ritz-Carlton of, right? How do we become the Southwest Airlines, right? I mean, pick something iconic or pick someone. How do you become the Uber, perhaps, a financial advisor? I don't, you know, but... But, but don't do it in your own discipline because that's what everyone else is doing. Everyone else is going to look at here's best practices from other financial advisors. Do that. Uh, first of all, I hate the term best practices. We'll come back to that. I mean, best means it can't get any better than that, right? 
I, I want to look for better practices. I want to be constantly improving my practices. There's no such thing as a best practice because once it's the best, then it can't be improved upon. So your, your words have meaning, your attitude's important. But, but, but what, what's some of the things, I, I will, I'll go in the Apple store I, and I'll think, okay, how can I take something that they're doing and, and apply it to what I'm doing, right? I mean, they're obviously doing something right. So how do I take that and apply it to my business? I don't want to be looking at every other, you know, trainer, speaker, author out there. I, I, I want to be thinking about how do I create that? And, and in fact, that's part of what, you know, led me to, to writing about distinction and, and, and what was the focus of, of all that. So the, uh, that's, that's positive and negative on that side, because I can see yeah. the good side is if you look at it that way, you're going to be so far ahead of your competition in your own market, it's going to be ridiculous, which is what's cool, because I've seen that happen in a lot of our offices we work with. Yeah. The downside is the bar is always getting raised by somebody, right? Whether it's Apple yeah. or it's Carlton, but that's, it's so cool. You can kind of always be chasing these new client experiences as they get better and better. And obviously technology makes all of that fun stuff where you can automate some of that stuff, right? Where you can actually oh, yeah. to archive all of this information that you're getting. But Brad, I mean, uh, two, two points to follow up on that, because that's a great point you make. And, and here, here's the first one. Let's savor this second for just a moment. Because this second right now is the slowest pace of change we will have for the rest of our lives. And so if we're not willing to continue to change and if we're not willing to continue to, to work on the model and improve the model, then, then somebody else will. I, I was on a program the other day and the speaker said, it's the old cliche, right? The speaker said, if all you do is all you've done, all you're going to get is what you got, right? And I want to go, that's a lie. Because if all I do is what I've done, I'm going to get less than what I've been getting. The competition is getting tougher and the internet's changing everything. And, and so you know, part of what we have to do is to understand that either we're going to play or we're not, you know, I mean, the, 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 the business world and our clients and everyone else, I mean, if, if we don't care enough to, to speed up our rate of change, then they're not going to care enough to, to let us handle their assets. The, the, the second aspect of that, though, that's, that, that's critically important is I think what people are looking for from us is changing as well. Um, probably shouldn't give it away, but this is the book I'm working on now. The information age is dead. It's dead. The agricultural age didn't end because we ran out of farms. The industrial age didn't end because we ran out of factories. Those ages ended because the output became so proficient and overwhelming that we naturally moved on to another phase. Right now, our clients have so much information that they don't need us for information anymore, right? It used to be I'd talk to my advisor because I needed information. What's going to happen? What's Right now, I can find 47 different viewpoints of what's going to happen in the market, right? I, I don't need more information. What I need now is insight. I need wisdom. And so what clients are advising more, uh, uh, what clients are requiring and, and, and needing more than ever before is not information, it's insight. They want you to help me make sense of, of all of this. Uh, was I'm doing a big project with BMW, and I'm having dinner here just a while back with the CEO of BMW for the United Kingdom. And he said, Scott, six years ago, our average customer, our average BMW buyer, made six dealership visits before making a purchase. 
they go drive a Mercedes, they go drive a BMW, they drive an Audi, they're in sports cars, they might go drive a Porsche. They, you know, they would make about six dealership visits to get them to where they would make a decision. He said, now today, just six years later, it's 1.3. Because they don't need our salespeople for information anymore. They've Googled the information about the car. They've Googled the information about consumer reports, comparative analysis. Now the reason they come to a dealership is they want, they want someone there to help reinforce their choice or to help them make sense of this conflicting information that they're getting. They're needing advice. And so in this time that robo-advising and everything else is, is to the forefront, what we're really saying is, I think, is that many of our clients that might shift to a, you know, an online type of situation, what they're really not getting is advice, right? They're getting information, but they can get that online. So the thing that we can't get online is, is wisdom and insight. And so that's the age that we're entering right now. And so to be on the forefront, what you're trying to do is to show how what you talked about earlier, that, that proprietary system perhaps that you have, or those ways that you do, will create, you know, you're providing insight that creates the solution that they're seeking. And that's, that's one of the critical ways to stand out in today's market. So that's, uh, as you were, as you were kind of going through that, I was processing it yeah. and something that I've seen a lot, um, with media, uh -huh. is this rise of the curator. Yeah. Right. And, and right. that's, that's what that kind of is to me. It's like all this noise is out here yeah. now. Could you curate it down to the stuff that I actually care about and matters? And you've seen a lot of media moguls recently with, with Twitter and, sure. and all of us, they've, they've made a lot of money doing that because yeah. they know their right. customer and they want to distill the information that's actually going to matter to them. So. That's an important, you're right, you're tracking with me, right? That's an important part of the book is that it, it, you don't have to be an insight originator, but you do need to at least be an insight aggregator. Uh -huh. You have to be a source that can filter through the noise and help them get to what they really need. Doctors are almost becoming that today, if you think about it. A, a doctor buddy of mine said, you know, when he first started, he diagnosed people. Now the first part of his conversation is to get them to unlearn what they read on WebMD. Right. Yeah. Doctor, I'm having headaches. It's your sinuses, right? It's not, you know, you're not going to die. This is all right. And so it's, it's to get them to unlearn what they learned online. And so that I, I, I talk to financial advisor buddies that, that, that feel the same way. You know, part of what I've got to get you to do is to unlearn some of this junk that you've read online and, and, and to provide some insight and wisdom about something that's better for you in the long run. All right, so we're we're getting to the finish line here. Yeah. If you're, we haven't even done on the four quarters. Yeah. Right, it's it's that's cool. It's great. We had a great talk. No, this has been fun, and and I I want to thank you so much because I know you're carving out some time when you could probably be on oh, a beach. Like it's okay. Glad to be get, here. getting a tan or something, right? So <laughs> I need one. Uh, um, so just a couple quick questions, and I like to kind of call it rapid fire. Sure. Um, if you're good for that, just the last couple minutes here and. If, if I ask you a really tough one, uh, I told one of my previous guests, you can just like act like your internet coverage went out and we can end the call there <laughs> and you're good to go. Uh, so, um, so these are going to be completely off topic, just, just random. Uh, sure. Being an author, obviously you're a well-read guy also. What's the favorite book you've ever read and how did it impact your life? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, I, the, the typical, I mean, the, the truthful, but also the typical answer is that the Bible because of my faith. But um, 
in terms of business, man, that, that's a great one because there's so many incredible ones uh, out there. Uh, boy, it, it, it's an old one, but uh, it, it's, it's hard to get better than, you know, how to win friends and influence people. I mean, that's the, so, uh, things become a cliche because they're truthful and repeated constantly. It doesn't mean, you know, cliche doesn't mean it's, it's invalid. It just means it's been repeated so much. And, and I, I think for anybody that, that starts um, Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People, the timeless classics uh, became timeless classics because they're so dog, doggone good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right at the top of my list too. So yeah. written in, actually, I was, I was looking to buy a first edition on eBay this weekend. Oh, wow. So no kidding. Oh my gosh. They're not cheap, by the way. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So when you hear the word successful, who's the first person that pops in your mind and why? Um, again, a cliche answer, but Zig Ziglar. Um, when um, many, many, many years ago, uh, I was really just first getting started in professional speaking. And um, my background was in the FFA as a kid, the Future Farmers of America. And so FFA had invited me to speak at their national convention. Now, this is the largest gathering of youth for a purpose in the world. There's 20,000 people in the audience. And Zig is the other speaker. And Zig asked my wife and I out to dinner. He reached out to us, asked us out to dinner, which is akin to being a little league shortstop. And Derek Jeter says, hey, kid, you want to get a hot dog? You know, it was, it was incredible. So we're sitting at dinner. And uh, Zig said, Scott, you know, I looked before dinner and I couldn't find any, any books, uh, any of your books. And I said, well, Zig, I... I've never written a book. And Zig says, yeah, I relate. I haven't either. Well, my wife and I are looking at each other like, you know, because we, we've got 10 on the shelf, right? And he said, you know, yeah, I've never written a book. But he said, I get up every morning and I write three pages. And you know what? After about three months, they tell me I've got a book. And it was like, it was just, ta-da, right? The slack that... And I got up the next morning and I wrote three pages and that was the, the first three pages of all businesses, show business, my first book. And the reason I say Zig Ziglar when it comes to success is there are, there are folks who do what I do that can talk a good game, um, but they don't exactly live everything that they talk about. And I'm not saying I agreed with every single word that Zig Ziglar ever said from the platform, but what I do know is if he said it, he lived it. He did it. And, um, to me, that's, that's the successful life is not just, you know, Zig made a lot of money and Zig, you know, did a lot of great things, but more importantly, the integrity, um, with which he did things. And, and when my wife passed away, I went out to the mailbox about three weeks later and there was this box and it said Ziegler corporation on it. And I mean, I was acquainted with Zig, but he, he, you know, I wasn't on his speed dial. He wasn't on, I mean, we were acquainted. He remembered the dinner. He knew, you know, if I saw him, he called me by name, we would talk, but we weren't, we weren't close by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a box and I opened it up and it was a book that Zig had written when they had lost a child on, on dealing with, with grieving. And there was a six page handwritten letter in there from Zig talking about, you know, he had been thinking of me and praying for me and, and, and all those kinds of things. And, uh, I, you know, I've got people I've known for 30 years and they were even made a phone call and Zig Ziglar sat down and wrote a six page hand, handwritten letter. But the funny thing is after Zig passed away and I talked to people about that, 
there, there were hundreds of stories like that. And I, I, I don't hit that all the time, but, but I'm trying. And to me, to be able to live your life uh, where your word is your bond and, and you have that kind of integrity, that's, that's success. Wow. That's a high standard right get there. choked up saying that. Uh, yeah, that's, no, that's, I'm, I'm over here getting choked up. So, wow. That's, that's powerful. Thanks. Um, all right. We'll, we'll wrap with one last question where since we're three minutes over here, I want to respect your time. And I know you've got an in-room rehearsal there coming up. So. <laughs> um, for everyone on the call here today, what is the one piece of advice that you could share personally that has led to your success? If there was just one thing. After my wife passed away, my business was in trouble. I, not that I was going belly up or anything like that, but um, I had spent so much time as a caregiver. I hadn't been actively marketing. I was kind of out of the marketplace. Uh, it just, it just was not in a good, a good spot. And so I started calling speakers bureaus and other, you know, meeting plan. And I, and I said, okay, so when you recommend me, what do you say about me in a recommendation? And the thing I heard is great speaker and a really nice guy. You know, it was, it was kind of hard for me to picture like Cody sitting in Kansas saying, now who should be our speaker for the World Series of Sales? Let's get a really nice guy, right? I mean, I, I want to be a great speaker. I don't want to be a nice guy, but there was nothing that would set me apart from what everybody else was doing. And so I started researching why did some groups stand out and others not? And why did some financial advisors stand out and others not? And why did some... You know, what did it take to, to stand out in the marketplace? What did it take to create distinction? I was doing that just so my business could survive. But through that process, I learned about what it would take to, to stand out in any particular marketplace. I've employed that in my own business. And, you know, like I said, I mean, it's, I, I've been doing this for a while. And I'm about to do my 30th presentation of the year. It, it's bigger than it's, it's ever been. And it's only because of what I learned about how to stand out because other groups want to stand out. I, I encourage every advisor to, to follow that same thing. Why would a client choose you instead of the competition? Why, what makes you stand out in the marketplace? It might be because you're providing them a book every month and you're a resource for, for thought leadership. It might be because there's, you know, you're playing the music when they come in and the client feels so connected and so comfortable. But all I know is if the, if the answer is, hey, um, good advice and a really, really nice gal, that is not sustainable to make you stand out. It's, it's, it's just the ticket to be able to play the game. And so that's what I would encourage the most and, and what has helped me the most is finding what it takes to, to stand out from your competition in the marketplace and, and deliver results with integrity. Scott, thank you so much. Um, thank you. It's been an incredible hour. I appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and knowledge, and I, I guarantee it brought a ton of value to everyone. <laughs> it's been one of the fastest hours of my life, man. It's I'm been, telling you, it's, it's just been fun. So it's I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing to 
to get this information out there because you know we get so busy doing what we do we seldom have time to think about how we can do it better and and you're giving folks a recess to reassess the challenges that they're facing and and that's that's man we need that in today's marketplace so thank you for providing that it's uh, it's extraordinary well, I appreciate it. So enjoy the rest of your time in the Bahamas. I appreciate and it. Hopefully you've got some time for some fun down there too. I look forward to staying in touch. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. All right, Scott, take care. See you soon. Hey guys, this is Brad again. Just a few more things before you take off. First off, I've got a brand new tool, seven technology hacks that financial professionals can use to reclaim unproductive hours every day. This is a free tool I'm gifting you on my website, bradj.net. It's available right on the homepage and includes seven tools, apps, or other technology hacks I've uncovered in the last decade or so of consulting the top financial practices in the country. It actually allows you to put hours back on your calendar. There's only one way to get it. Subscribe to my free updates and it's delivered right to your inbox as soon as you do. Once again, it's available at bradj.net. My gift to you for checking out the podcast. Secondly, if you've listened to a few of my shows now and enjoy it, I'd appreciate you heading out to iTunes or Stitcher to rate the podcast and let me know what you think. If you have ideas for future guests, please share them there as well. I'd love to read them. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next show. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.